0: Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our What's Happening email. We send this out once a week. It's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online. Apart from that, there is a give button. So if you're feeling led, you can do that right online through our website. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. We are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that God's going to do something special in you through today's message. Enjoy.
1: Well, hey, it's good to be with you guys this morning. And, uh, I wonder how many of you have done any races in your life? Anybody done any, anyone here done any races? You need to raise your hand, Brittany, because I'm talking about you in a minute, so I know you have. Um, yeah, if you, any done, anybody done long races? I mean, not just like a, a five-kilometer, but like maybe a half a marathon? Anyone done any half marathons in here? Yeah, there's a few. Anybody done a full marathon? Put your hand, Brittany. So I am... Um, I don't know how many of you, some, some, I think different people are more race kind of people, right? I mean, we're all a race, obviously. I, mean, I don't mean it that way. But I mean, I mean race people in the sense that we love to, like, we're just that competitive kind of nature that we love to race. We love to do things that challenge us. And um, I don't know how many of you have done a really long races. The longest race that I've ever done was a race. We'll wait with that actually in a second. Just wait a minute. I'll, uh, we, I did a race in 2007 called the MoMAR. And this is one of those races, it took us five and a half hours to do the race. It's one of those ones where maybe you've been in a race and maybe, Brittany, have you ever had that feeling of what they call hitting the wall? Where it's like you just kind of, it's like you hit a wall. And it's like, I don't know that I can go any further. There's this wall in front of me. I can't get beyond it, it feels. This was one of those races that I kind of hit the wall in. Um, I kind of wanted to give up a little bit. And this race was, um, again, 2007, it was called the Momar Mind Over Mountain Adventure Race. And it included a kayak portion for about 10 kilometers, and then there was a trail run that you had to navigate through the trails that was a minimum of 10 kilometers, depending on how good you were at navigating and reading maps. And then there was about a 35-kilometer mountain bike portion after that that you had to do as well. And so most people did this race in... Um, uh, teams of two was the vast majority, so there was a lot of tandem kayakers. But there was over, I think, about 300 people that did the whole race. And some people did it solo, some people did it in teams of two. You could even do it in a team of four if you wanted. And uh, my friend Brent, who was from Calgary and had moved to Comox Valley, said, let's do it. So this was up in Cumberland at Comox Lake is where it was taking place. So we did some training, and we started running and, and doing different things. We even rented a kayak and practiced what it was like to kayak together and, and get a little bit better at that skill. Um, and and the, the race day came, and there we were. I remember uh, it, was, it was September. It was a little bit wet and rainy, a little bit dreary, um, but it was perfect conditions. And I remember it started off like this. So we're at the shore, and I get into the kayak, and he's getting into the back of it because it was a two-person. And he gets in and he almost dumps us right off the start. And I'm like, this is not a good start. And then we proceed out to the start line where all these other boats are out in, on Comox Lake. It's quite a big lake. And uh, I remember we're, we're waiting in the kayak and, and then the gun goes off and, and we're, everyone starts going. And it was so crazy. You couldn't, there was boats beside, you can't even hit the water. And you're hitting kayaks trying to get momentum and trying to get moving. There was so much turbulence, two different kayaks overturned in the water right at the start and so we're just like "Ah," we were kind of near the back of it all because we hadn't done this race yet and so anyway we're probably in the back three quarters of out of about 300 and so people we're in the back back portion and we kind of get into a rhythm we start going down the lake you have to cross the lake and then you have to start coming back up the other side once you get to the other side of the lake you um, you get out of your boats and you do the trail portion the navigating of a map and at that point we pull up to the shore there's boats everywhere we are so far back it's it's crazy And so we get out though, and and then you get um, you get this trail map. You can show this now, Amanda. Um, This was the actual this was the actual map that we had on the race day, and you had to navigate through those different checkpoints. You can kind of see um, on the map there that you would have to go and get. You had a special pass that you had to get them to click or or punch um, to show that you made it to a checkpoint. If you missed a checkpoint, there was a time penalty of about half an hour for every checkpoint that you missed. And so we actually, we had, you had to have a compass. I had no idea how to use a compass. I knew that there was like north on it. And I, so, so we actually took a course. There was my friend Brent and I and one other couple that were in this course on how to do the MoMar, MoMar 101 it was called. And so they told us how to like the best way, the girl that taught it, she always won for the girls. So we were like, sweet, okay, we should be okay with this. And so she showed us kind of how to do everything. And, um, and so we start, you do what's called thumbing along the map. You actually use your thumb. We actually took time. And on the map, I actually have here the checkpoints. You don't go in order. We went 3, 10, 9, 8, 6, 7, 5, 4. That was the order that we went. Because she taught us, you got to look at the elevations of the map. What's steeper. What, if you're going to go to that one and it's like really tight lines, you know it's really steep. Anyway, so we start doing, we watch everybody running past us, you know, out of the boats. Everyone's going and we're like, oh. Um, but we, she said, don't. Don't get caught up in everyone moving. Take some time and figure out where you're going to go. And so we did. So we took about two minutes as everyone left us. And okay, this is what we're going to do. We went into the trails. and We started navigating through the trails. We, we end up doing the whole trail portion. We get back to the water and we're like, all the boats are here still. Like all the boats. There was like 15 or 20 people tops that were in front of us. We're like, what happened? We just like, and we actually saw the girl that trained us come out. She's like, you guys are doing amazing. We're like, did we screw up? Did we miss something here? <laughs> we just, we killed it. And so we start, we st- we're like, we're on a high, right? Because we're like, oh, we're, we're like, oh, the boats are still here. We had to go way down the beach to get to our boat because we were so far back when we came. We get back in our boat and we cross over the lake a kilometer and a half paddle back to the other side where we get our mountain bikes to begin the mountain bike portion. And so by this point, we've been going for about um, about three hours at this point of the race. And we get on our bikes and we start riding and we're like, we're in like 18th or 19th place. This is insane. Like we're doing incredible. And so we're riding, we get into the trails and I hear this funny noise at one point, ping. Like, that was weird. And we keep riding and all of a sudden my bike seat falls right off. <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy. And so I stop and I'm like, I, I, and I try to put it, well that ping was the, the little bolt that holds the seat onto the, the seat post, broke. I no longer have a bike seat. And obviously, I'm not going to use a bike post without a seat. So I pull the seat. I was wearing a pack with like water in it and stuff. I take off the seat. I take the post off. And I put it in my bag. And I think, OK, well, I guess we've got to keep going. I mean, what are we going to do? We've got about two hours left of mountain biking still. Oh. But that doesn't, that doesn't it gets better. Because as I'm riding, I was riding this full-suspension mountain bike. The, the, the frame kind of, like, you, you think of a regular mountain bike frame it, and just has a little thing for the post. Well, this frame kind of went down and up. And so my shorts that I was wearing kept catching on the frame. And I couldn't ride. Like, I would try to move, but my short would be stuck. Oh, my God, I'm going to crash. And I stopped, and I'm like, Brent, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I, I can't do this. Like, I, I, and and so, so we took some, we undid a shoelace and tied it around my pant legs, or my short legs, to keep my shorts it didn't work and finally and it's like all wet and mucky and we're kind of going along and finally I'm like I, I can't I can't do this anymore and so so he goes well I mean whatever you want to do if we if we got to stop and I'm like no we're not going to stop we're doing too good we at this point we've been caught by a couple other teams that had caught up to us so we're now probably in about you know 21 22 and I'm like I got to take my shorts off <laughs> I got to take off my shorts he's like okay so I proceed to take off my shorts I did have underwear on, which was good, um, but, but the underwear that I chose to wear for that day, I always wore boxer briefs, always, like just regular old, remember big baggy boxers? And then of course when we started wearing these skinny jeans, they don't work in skinny jeans because it's like wearing a dress under pants. So I was wearing, I had chosen to wear, um, I had some boxer briefs, they're like the tight ones, so because they're just more comfortable for that kind of thing, that were white. So I'm undressing. Literally two teams at that point catch up to us on the bikes and they stopped and they just stared at me as I'm like undressing. <laughs> I'm like, move along. Nothing to see here. Just, you know. And I had to put my shorts in my bag and then I had to proceed to ride for the next two hours without a bike seat. And I tell you, my legs were done. The, the only benefit was that Brent was from Calgary so he hadn't done a lot of mountain biking and so I was a much faster mountain biker and so all I would do we kind of cheated, because you're actually supposed to be in visual, um, like, you're, as, a, as a team, you have to be in visual sight of all your team members at all times. That's how the race works. But I would just be like, okay, I'm just going to go for as long as I can, as hard as I can, and when you catch up, I'll, I'll get... So I would just pedal as hard as I could, no seat, just standing for like, ah, like, just dying, and then I would, I would stop the bike, and I'd just fall into the bush, and I'd just lay there and be like, oh, my legs my legs, and then Brent would catch up, and I'd be like, okay, okay, and I'd get back on my bike, and I would just go as hard as I could for as long as I could, and um, I tell you, that was, that was a tough race. Um, I wanted to give up many, many, many times, uh, but we persevered. We kept going. I ended up, um, actually, the announcer even mentioned it. That's why you don't wear white underwear to things like this. I didn't realize it wasn't the greatest, so, so we finished the race. We finished, I think, about 29th and 30th out of, like, hundreds of people. It was pretty... I actually, here's my, here's my, um, here's my, uh, medal. that's what it's called. (laughs) I was going to say trophy, but it's not a trophy. Guess what place that is? Finisher. Finisher, yes. (laughs) Just says 2007 finisher, MoMar. So, I actually could not find the pictures. I wanted to get you photos of us in the actual race, not after the race, um, but... um, (laughs) We actually had to take pictures with my shorts on because it was much better. <laughs> but I just wonder if you've ever, you know what, felt like that maybe not just in a race, but in life in general. Maybe you've felt a little bit like giving up, like life is just too much. Maybe even living for Jesus has felt that way sometimes, where it's like, this is just too much. I, I, I need to give up. I can't keep going. I can't do it. And you're tempted to quit. Maybe you've had that, that, that feeling or that thought, or maybe you've said it before, if one more thing goes wrong, if one more thing goes wrong, I just can't take it. Well, this morning we are back in our study of the book of Hebrews. So we took a bit of a break, of course, for our 21 days of prayer and fasting, but, but we're back in our study of Hebrews. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew Christians. Hebrews just simply are, are Jewish Christians, is what that means, okay? So Jewish Christians that were in this race of living for Jesus that were ready to give up. These were he- Jewish Christians that because of of persecution and loss of homes and family and friends. Everything was just going wrong that could go wrong. The culture and the religion was pressing so hard on them. They were ready to give in and give up. But but chapter 12 is going to encourage us, you can do this. You can do it. Keep going. They felt like it was maybe time to be done, just easier to give up on Jesus. But chapter 12, where we're going to look at this morning, the author is going to encourage them, and he's going to encourage us to keep going in our race. You see, the reality, if you don't know this, that the Bible often speaks of the Christian life as a race. Maybe you've heard that analogy before. We are in a race. Maybe you didn't realize that. And those, you know, the majority of us in the, here this morning weren't really into racing. Well, you are now if you're a Christian. You're a racer. You are in a race. You are in a race. The Bible tells us that. A race, though, that we're not just called to start, we're also called to finish. And so I want to read this morning Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to actually be, Preaching and teaching from the New International Version. Uh, I I like the way it puts it. It's also because I memorized this um, a number of years ago, and whenever I read it in a different translation, it just screws me right up. So, so why don't we, uh, in our Bibles, if you can, turn to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read just the first three verses, and then we'll take a moment and pray before we, this morning, take time to look at finishing the race. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw up everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why don't we take a moment and pray together? Father, this morning, I ask that um, your word would encourage us. Lord, whether we know it or not, we are in a race. And Jesus, we want to be finishers. We're not running this race just to get a little silver medal that says finisher. We're running a race that's going to determine our eternal outcome. And we want to finish well. We want to finish strong. And I pray this morning, Father, if there's those in this room that are just discouraged, that are, are down and beaten down and Feeling like if one more thing, if that one more thing, they've hit the wall, I pray today that there would be encouragement for them to keep going, to get moving, and to join the race again. So help us, Jesus. Speak to us and teach us from your word, we ask. Amen. All right, the first thing that the author of Hebrews tells us to do is to look at the witnesses. Look at the witnesses. These are others that have already finished the race. Verse 1 of chapter 12 begins, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Whenever you read in the Bible the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? Now, right yeah, we're a little confused here this morning, but yeah, you kind of got the gist of it. I think I heard a few people kind of... You need to ask. When you see therefore in Scripture, you need to ask, what is that therefore Therefore in that specific place that it is. And so, of course, what, it, what it's really saying is, because I just said this, therefore, right? And so, of course, a quick, and you guys should get this one. We're in chapter 12. So what came before chapter 12? Well, yeah, chapter 11. You guys are good. Okay, well done. So therefore, he's saying this. We're beginning chapter 12. He's saying, therefore, what I just said in chapter 11... What I just talked about in chapter 11, this is how it applies to your life. And what was chapter 11 all about? Faith. It was all about those heroes of the faith, the Old Testament saints. Essentially, he's saying this. He's saying, remember, he's talking about this great cloud of witnesses, these people that have already finished the race, that have gone ahead of you, that have gone before you. Remember them. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, whenever I read that passage, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I had this, a picture that immediately came to mind. And the picture for me was a stadium. And I had in, this, in the stadium, it was like all those that, like, that Hebrews chapter 11 mentions and all these other great heroes of the faith, people that have gone on before us in the faith, sitting in the stands. They'd completed their race, and they're now sitting in the stands, and they're watching us. They're cheering us on. You can do it. Keep going. And it was kind of I had this picture where I'm kind of in the stadium, and I'm kind of you know, participating in the race, the games. And I don't know about you. Does that encourage you? It doesn't encourage me. Do you know why it doesn't encourage me? I get embarrassed. If I'm honest, I was like, I really hope, I really hope they're not all just looking down at me from heaven. Can you imagine this morning, Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, looking down, oh, that poor guy. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, do they not have anything better to do? I sure hope so. That's right. (laughs) They do, believe me. And I used to think of it this way. It actually kind of was embarrassing because I'd be like, sometimes I mess up in my race. And it actually kind of was like, I, I'm a little bit self-conscious about this. And, and so, uh, you know, it was interesting because when I actually was studying this more, the, the Greek word here for witnesses is a word uh, in the Greek, it's martyron. Martyron. I don't know if that sounds like another word that perhaps you have heard before. Yeah, what was it, Austin? martyrs. It's actually the same word that we get our word martyrs from. So these aren't spectators. These aren't people that are spectating. What the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate to us is that these are people that have borne witness. They've borne witness of a life of faith of what it looks like to live for God. They're not just sitting up there now, kicking back in their, their easy chairs going, oh yeah, go Peter, go. Oh man, you sure messed up that one. That's not what they're doing, right? They're, they're, they're not spect. It's not that they're looking at us, Rather, the idea here is that we are looking to them. We are looking at them as, an, as a witness, as an encouragement, that in other words, God saw them through, and he's going to see us through. That is their witness. Some of them actually did, did have to die as martyrs. That was their witness, bearing witness to God, that living a life of faith is worth it. And so he's saying, be encouraged by their life. They did it, so can you. If they can hold fast to their faith in this fallen world, then so can you. And I love, you know what I love about Hebrews chapter 11, this, the therefore that he's actually drawing our attention to, is that Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with some pretty incredible people. There's Moses, and there's Abraham, and there's Jacob, and, and there's Rahab, and there's David, all these different people that the author of Hebrews mentions that have gone before us, that have finished the race. They did some great things, I think we all agree. Great, great things that they did. But you know what encourages me? That they also made some great mistakes. That's encouragement to me. They did great things, but they also made some great big messes. They all, in some ways, were a bit of a mess. You know, you've probably heard me say it before, that sometimes we love to use this title of the heroes of the faith. The Bible doesn't call them heroes. In in fact, you've maybe heard me say it before. Years ago, I heard someone mention this, but it's like, we're all a bunch of zeros. They're zeros. Who's the hero? Jesus. Jesus is the one hero. And so when we start to put them up on a pedestal, they should be an example of how you can finish but, but it's actually encouraging to me to know that they also sometimes made a bit of a mess. And that actually, they did great things, they made great messes, but, you know, it also gives me great hope. That's when I look at them, I go, you know what, I can do it too. I can do it too. And even today, you know, I look, in fact, there's people in our own congregation that, that I look to as an example, as a witness, in many ways. It encouraged me in my faith and in my life. I think of, she's not with us today, but Pauline Belanger who has faithfully served God for so many years. I think of Ron and Bev Harris, who have been a part of this, this church family for so long. Far before I was born, they were a part of this church family. Faithfully continuing for God. Faithfully serving Him. And, and, and they are bearing witness of a life of faith and faithfulness. They're not perfect, but they're persevering. Right? They're continuing on. And you know what? It made me think as I was studying this. Who might I be bearing a witness to? Who might my life be in some way a witness to someone else? It may be a friend or a child or a coworker, maybe a classmate that your life bears witness to. I actually, what came to mind as I thought of this is I'll never forget when I was in grade 12 and my life was really at a crossroads. Was I going to live for Jesus or was I not? And I'll never forget this. um, My best friend that I'd grown up with, his name was Colin. And um, we had started to kind of go separate ways. In grade 12, we had been skateboarders through junior high and high school. So we had a number of the same friends. But he was going a different direction as far as just entering into drugs and different things like that. And I kind of hung out with some of the skateboarders that didn't do some of that things. And I'll never forget the time where I was at this crossroads where I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And do I really want to live for God or not? And we were at Thetis Lake in Victoria. I remember. I, I remember totally clearly. And we're all standing around. There was about five or six of us. And uh, I was with Colin and and kind of some other skateboarders that were more of his friends than my friends. And we were there at the lake and and they pulled out a marijuana joint. And I remember standing in that circle as we're all standing around. And I remember thinking, I never verbalized it, but I thought in my head, this is the time I'm going to try it. This is the the day I'm going to give it a go. And they passed the joint from one to another. And then it came to the person that was beside me and he offered it to me. And my friend Colin, who was a couple people over from him, said, oh, no, 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 just Peter doesn't do that stuff. Give it to the next guy. And I was like, and I watched as that joint passed, passed me to the next person. And in that moment, I realized my life is a witness. I'm bearing witness to him. He, he saw that Peter doesn't do those kinds of things. That's not what he lives for. And that was actually one of the things that started to cause me to think more about my faith. Do I really have a faith? What's it about? And, and I, I believe God spared me vastly in that moment, because I was honestly thinking, this is the day I'm going to try it. And then my friend speaks up and says, oh, no, no, pass it along. Peter doesn't do that. And they pass it to the next person. Who are we bearing a witness to? Who's looking to us as an example of what it looks like to live a life of faith? So listen, we're a witness, but most importantly, we're told here in Hebrews to look at the other witnesses. Look at those that have gone on before you. And then secondly, to finish the race well, this is what he tells us. He says, look at yourself. Verse 1 continues, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We're basically told here take inventory of your life. Take a look at your life. Are you race ready? Is what he's kind of saying. Is your life ready to run the race? And if it's not, if there's things in your life that, that aren't going to help you with the race, get rid of them. He actually says to throw them off. And so the first thing that we need to check is to make sure that all hindrances are gone, that all hindrances are gone, that they're all removed. We'll be back one slide. There we go. They're gone. They're removed. If you've ever competed in a race or an athletic event, you know that when you compete, you only want what's necessary. I already mentioned Brittany earlier on. Ross's wife, Brittany, over here has already ran a marathon. She runs like crazy. I'll sometimes be driving weird times of the day, and I'll see Brittany (laughs) running. And, uh, but when Brittany runs, she, she doesn't run with, like, a big backpack on, and she's not carrying around, like, you know, a, a ghetto blaster. Remember ghetto blasters, you know? Like, she's got her shoes on. I think she even has special socks, even, that she wears, that are, like, these compression socks. And she wears just the right equipment and clothing. She's not wearing high heels. I've never seen her running in her heels or a dress. She's not wearing a wetsuit. Those are, I mean, can you imagine running a marathon in a wetsuit? Oh, that'd be horrible. And this is kind of what the author of Hebrews is getting at. You need to be race-ready. You need to throw off the things that hinder, he says. Whatever is hindering. You know that, in fact, he's probably thinking of the games, the Olympic games, that the Greeks were so famous for. Do you know that at the Olympics, the athletes there, they wore nothing. They got rid of anything that was a hindrance to them. I'm not saying that's what we need to do in the Christian life. Do not. But there's things that can hinder us. And what I want us to really understand here with this passage Let us throw off, he says, everything that hinders, number one. And he mentions something else, and the sin that so easily entangles. And I think this is important for us to understand that there's good things that can hinder us too. Sometimes we think, well, if it's not sin, why should I ever have to get rid of it? If it's not bad. He says, no, there's good things that can hinder you in your race, such as high heels. Brittany's not going to wear high heels. That would be a hindrance. Or a wetsuit. A wetsuit is a good thing if she was going surfing. But she's training to run a marathon and so she doesn't need to have on that wetsuit she needs to get rid of those things that could hinder for me in the momar my shorts were a hindrance so i had to take off my shorts right and in the race here's the thing in the race that god has given us there's good things that can hinder too think about how we just came through the season of 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church some of the things that we gave up were food some of you gave up food is food a good thing absolutely we need it to live. In fact, God gives us food to enjoy even. But some of us, we, we, we said, you know what, I'm not going to eat those certain things. It was a good thing, but I'm going to just set that aside because it can sometimes be a hindrance in my life with the Lord. Things like a cell phone. A cell phone isn't evil. It can be a good thing. It can be a good tool, but it can hinder us. Social media, all these kinds of things. Television, things that we turned off for those 21 days, you may have done some of those things, fasted from them, and experienced the presence of God in a new way in your life. And, and, and they're not bad, but they can hinder. Do you hear what I'm saying? We need to take stock. We need to ask the Lord, what is there in my life perhaps that's hindering me from running the race for you? Things that aren't necessarily bad, but it's a hindrance in this race. The important thing is to really take the time to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is, is that what might be a hindrance for me might not be a hindrance for you. Right? That's the reality. It might be a hindrance for me. It might not be one. Or it might be a hindrance for you, but it's not a hindrance for me. And this is where we need to allow God to speak to us, to show us. But there's so many things that can hinder. We've got to be open. The second thing we must throw off, verse 1 says, is the sin that so easily entangles. Now, this kind of seems so obvious, but it needs to be pointed out that sin will always bring you down in your race. Sin will always take you out in your race. It's, it's, It's always going to trip you up. It's like Brittany... Training for the marathon. She's running a marathon March 4th, 5th? March 5th. She's going to be running a marathon coming up. Would it be wise for Brittany to wear shackles around her ankles? Chains and shackles. No. And that's what sin would do. Sin does. It, it trips us up. It entangles us here, as the author says. It'd be foolish for us to do that. But that's what sin does. It trips us up. It will always trip you up. And, and if I'm honest, when I, when I have sin in my life, when I willfully sin... And disobey. Do you know what the, probably the first thing that I feel is? I feel disqualified. I'm sure you, you, those of you that sin, if there's a couple of you out there as well that sometimes make mistakes like me, you know what I'm talking about. You mess up and you feel like, how, how can I even call myself a Christian? How can I even keep running this race? What, and you just want to give up. Sin is probably one of the key things that will knock us out of the race because, because the enemy's always waiting just there to trip you up, to point out what you did And how dare you think that you can even call yourself a Christian? And I just want to tell you this morning listen, don't let the enemy take you out. Proverbs 24 16 tells us that though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Notice what this is telling us. Even the righteous, godly people make mistakes. Even righteous, godly people sin. That's what that's telling us. They fall, they make mistakes. But the key is this, they don't stay down. They get back up again. They repent and they say, I'm sorry I messed up, but I'm going to get back into the race. I'm going to get running again. They throw off, this is as we're told to do, the sin that entangles them. And, And I just encourage you, if you are walking this morning and known in unconfessed sin, stop. Throw it off, be done with it, confess it. Jesus wants to take it from you. Run the race in freedom. Well, the third thing to check when looking at ourselves is simply if we are running. Are we actually running? Verse 1 finishes with this. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, again, this may seem really obvious, but are you running? Are you running? Or did you forget that you're in a race? I think sometimes we do. And we just settle in and just get comfortable And we just kind of do nothing. You listen, you will never win or you will never even finish a race standing still. You won't. You have to give it your all. You got to go all in. But too often we end up just kind of doing nothing. We just drift. We just drift. And what does it take to drift? What do you have to do to drift? You got to do nothing. You do nothing. Think of a boat that drifts. It doesn't have to do anything. It drifts. But the reality is this, is that when you drift, you will never get to where you want to go especially living in the culture that we live in now. Just drifting, just doing nothing will take us never where we want to be. And so I want to ask you, have you been taking just a casual effort in this race? Maybe you're struggling right now and you're wondering, why am I struggling? Why am I, why am I having difficulty? Why do I want to give up? Maybe it's because you're just doing nothing. You're doing nothing to advance your life in Christ, to draw closer to him, to draw upon him for strength. And one of the greatest dangers that we face in the Christian life is, is that of apathy. Just just the existing and being satisfied, doing nothing. And if we find ourselves in apathy, we need to repent. We need to get back in the race. I remember when I was in Bible college, I did a mountain bike race um, out in Chilliwack. And again, it was one, another one of those muddy, wet, rainy days. And the mountain bike, uh, my mountain bike pedals, they're like about this big. They're like squares. And my shoes have these special little cleats on the bottom that I just step on the pedal and it clips my feet to the pedal. It was so mucky and so muddy that my shoes wouldn't clip in anymore to my pedals, And so it was like I almost had nothing that I was standing on. There was times that I'd be going downhill, and I I felt like I was skiing instead of mountain biking. And I'd just kind of sit on the frame and try to not go over the handlebars and die. And there was people, there was a number of people in this race that had just stopped. They'd given up because they couldn't clip into the pedal. And I thought, no, I'm not. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And I placed like, I think, third or fourth in that race. And I was like, wow, because I did not give up. I kept going. And we got to keep going we got to as we're told here run the race with perseverance don't give up do whatever it takes start running and don't stop don't give up persevere keep going and i think too often right now our the the season that we are in that this world seems to be in as a whole is a season of quitting honestly people are just quitting they're just quitting quitting their leadership they're quitting their marriages they're just giving up ah, i'm just done and we've lost this perseverance that I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep going. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to be a quitter. But we, we, we quit. We quit praying. We get hurt. We get discouraged and we just quit. Listen, it's not hard to start a race. That's the easy part. The hard part is finishing. And that's what matters. Don't stop. Don't give up. I, I want to read to you guys a story of someone named John Stephen Aquari. And you maybe have heard the story before, but uh, it's all about perseverance and not giving up. It was October 20th, 1968, in Mexico City, the Olympic Stadium. The Olympics had just wrapped up. The time was 7 p.m., the closing ceremonies had just been completed. The spectators and athletes, still warm from the euphoria of the celebration, were gathering their belongings to leave the stadium. Then the announcer asked them to remain in their seats. Down the boulevard came the whine of police sirens. From their vantage point, many in the stadium could see motorcycles with their flashing blue lights encircling someone making his way toward the stadium. Whoever it was, he was moving slowly. Everyone remained seated to see the last chapter of the Olympics take place. By the time the police escort got to the stadium, the, the public address announcer said that the, a final marathoner would be making their, way, making their way into the arena and around the track to the finish line. Well, confusion was evidenced amongst everybody there. I mean, the last marathoner had come in hours ago. The medals had already been awarded. I mean, what had taken this man so long? But the first sign of the runner making his way out of the tunnel and onto the track told the whole story. John Stephen Akwari from Tanzania. We've got a picture for you here of the actual event. Covered with blood, hobbled into the light. He had taken a horrible fall early in the race, whacked his head, damaged and dislocated his knee, and endured a trampling before he could get back onto his feet. And there he was, almost 40 kilometers later, stumbling his way to the finish line. The response of the crowd was so overwhelming, it was almost frightening. They encouraged Aquari through the last few meters of his race with a thundering ovation that far exceeded the one who had come in first, hours earlier. When Aquari crossed the finish line, he collapsed into the arms of the medical personnel who immediately whisked him off to the hospital. The next day, Aquari appeared before sports journalists to field their questions about his extraordinary feat. The first question was the one probably that any of us would have asked, why, after sustaining the kinds of injuries you did, would you ever get up and proceed to the finish line when there was no way that you could even possibly place in the race? John Stephen Aquari said this, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish one. Isn't that powerful? Yet, think about how much more important it is for us to finish the race that counts for eternity. That's what God has called us to. We can do it. We've got to persevere. We've got to finish. And so, we're told, first of all, look at others, look at yourself, take inventory of your life. And then, most importantly, thirdly, we're told to look to Jesus. Verse two, he tells us, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, or as some translations say, the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart look or as the author says fix fix your eyes on Jesus and the first point we're going to see why is because he's writing your faith Jesus is writing your faith you see he says to us fix your eyes on Jesus we're not is anybody here a lizard I don't think anyone here is a lizard. But lizards have their eyes, some of them have their eyes on like either, I think they can actually, some of them can actually look in different directions, can't they? It's like one eye goes this way and the other eye like goes the other way and it's weird. I can't do that. I can only look one way. I can only fix my eyes on one thing. And so he tells us here, fix your eyes on Jesus and you know that it's important in any sort of race to fix your eyes on the right thing. Finishing, for instance. You know, when when I've done different races, I'm not thinking in my head as I go, oh, what's that homework I gotta get done? Right? Or or that thing at home that broke and I need to fix it. That's not going to encourage me to finish the race. You know what I often think of? What I'm going to eat at the end of the race. <laughs> I often think there's pizza. I'm going to be having pizza when I'm done this race. And that sometimes is what it motivates me to keep going. And so the author tells us here, you've got to look at Jesus. Make Jesus your pizza. That's the sense of what he's saying. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And why are we supposed to do that? He tells us it's because he's the author and the perfecter, or or like other translations actually say, He's the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, he starts and he ends your story. And he's not giving up. He's not gonna stop your story. So why should you? He's writing, have you thought of that? Jesus is writing the story of your faith. He's in control of that. He starts, this is powerful, but he starts and he ends your story. You know, sometimes. Sometimes we get a little bit overwhelmed with what we're walking through. But you've got to know this. Philippians 1.6 tells us this, that we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us, that's the author, Jesus, that started to write our story, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop writing your story. The problem is, is that sometimes we get so discouraged as we're going through difficulties you know, he, he wants to come alongside us. He wants to say, listen, I'm writing your story. I'm not stopping. I'm still going. I'm continuing here. The problem is, is that we go, well, but God, this is way too hard. This part of my story is just way too difficult. Why are you writing this in? Are you sure you're writing this? This doesn't make any sense, God. And we, we get discouraged. We get discouraged. I don't think I can do it. How could you be in control of this? How could you be writing this? A passage that part of my mentoring that we have to start memorizing is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. And this is interesting. It says this. You want to hear about somebody that, that went through some difficulties and struggles? The Apostle Paul. And look what he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. I think we got it the slide for you here. He says this he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we couldn't even, we couldn't even make it. It was beyond our ability. We couldn't keep going. And he goes on to say this, so that we despaired of life itself. Can you imagine? Called by God, ministering for him, yet he says, we feel like we're going to die here. In fact, he goes on to say this, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. He's saying there was like a death sentence that had been put on our lives. That's how difficult the things were that we were going through. We thought at any moment we were going to die. We couldn't go. We could not go on. But then look at this. But this happened... That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Isn't that wild? He basically says this even if we die, we win. Even, I, I felt the death sentence, and you know what? Even if I did die, I realized I'm a winner because God raises the dead. He'll raise us from the dead, He'll raise us up with Christ. And then he goes on to say this He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Yes, sometimes life is really hard. And sometimes the things that, that he's writing about our story seems like, like, God, do you really know what you're doing? This is too much. I can't take it. But I want you to know this, that when he writes something of your story that seems a little too difficult for you, it's so that you will learn to rely on him even more, to put your hope in him. Because what does Paul say? He says, he delivered us before, he's going to do it again. I have my hope in Jesus He will pull through for me. He'll deliver me. And so have hope. Have hope. He's writing your story. Trust him as he writes your story. Secondly, we must look to Jesus to learn from his race, what he endured. You see, we all have a unique race to run. You know that. We all have a unique race. We're all running the Christian faith, obviously, but all of us have a specific race in a sense that God's calling us to run. And for Jesus, what was his race? What was the race that Jesus had to run? What was the ultimate? The cross. The The ultimate thing that he was looking towards was the cross. That's what verse 2 tells us. The cross. In fact, verse 3 even says that he also endured opposition from sinful men, which led to what? The cross. Right? It led to his rejection and his death by humanity. In fact, verse 3 even tells us when it says, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. The word there for consider, it actually means to, to weigh in the balance. So he's kind of saying this. Put what you're walking through on one side of the scale, and then on the other side of the scale, put what Jesus is going through, what Jesus went through, and then weigh those in the balance. Is, is what you're walking through more than what Jesus had to endure? Right? You know, Hebrews 9:27, it tells us that it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. You know we deserve to die. It's been appointed for us all to die, because of our sin, because of our rebellion towards God. We have been destined for death. Right from the very beginning. Genesis, when they sin, God warned them before you if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And because of our sin, we are, we are appointed to die. It's just how it is. But do you know that Jesus didn't have to die? He did not have to die. The perfect, sinless Son of God, he did not deserve death. He didn't have to die. It wasn't appointed for Jesus to die and to face judgment, he had no sin. You see, the cross was meant for criminals. It was meant for sinners. It wasn't meant for the sinless Son of God. But Jesus, we're told, consider Jesus, he endured the cross, the pain and the rejection, the suffering, the agony, right? The the separation from the Father, the shame of the cross. You know, even, it was so shameful, it says that he despised the shame. He wasn't looking forward to it. He wasn't going, oh, I can't wait for the cross. They would would make it so shameful, they they would oftentimes even crucify people naked just to make it that much more shameful for them. He despised that. But he went through it for us. And and I don't want to minimize, I don't want to say by these scales to minimize what you're walking through. And you know, what you're walking through is hard just because of the very fact that you are the one having to walk through it. It's horrible. It's not easy. But when we put it on the balance of what Jesus went through for us, we know that we can do it. We can make it. We can get through it. Think of what Jesus went through for you. And then third and finally, fix your eyes on Jesus so you can set your eyes on the same things that he did. How did Jesus get through this? How did Jesus endure the cross? What did he do to get to the cross? Some might say, well, he was God. It wasn't that hard. That's not the truth whatsoever. In fact, the the very fact that the author here tells us to to fix our eyes on Jesus and to consider Jesus. He's using his human, his, his human name, Jesus. If he wanted us to focus on the God side, he would be say Christ, the Messiah. But he's saying, no, look at Jesus, the humanity of Christ. Philippians 2 is clear that he set aside his deity, his godliness in that sense. He laid it aside. He didn't take that upon himself to get to the cross. Oh, for this, I'm going to put on my, my, my Superman, my God cloak. That will get me through it. That's not what he did. Do you know what what he did? How did he get to the cross? Verse 2 tells us. It says, For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? What was the joy? There's a couple things here. Isaiah 53, um, chapter 53, verse 11, prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came. It spoke of Jesus. And look at what it says. It says, When he, this is talking about Jesus, sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. You could say he will be full of joy. What would he accomplish by his anguish? Read on. Because of his experience, my righteous servant, talking of Jesus, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Do you want to know what part of the joy was that that he looked towards to get to the cross? It was you. It was you. It was that you were going to be able to trade in your sinful life for his sinless life. The righteousness of Christ would then be placed upon you. That was the joy that that he looked at. He said, you know what? I don't want to go to the cross, but I know what it's going to do. It's going to mean that I will be with you all for eternity. That was his joy, saving us, and that outweighed the cross. He fixed his eyes on you. That got him to the cross. You know what else he did, though? We're told as well. It was also part of the joy that, that he also looked ahead to when he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what he did as well. He looked to eternity. He looked for the glory that would come. What would be made his. You know, you could almost say that that was his pizza. You and I, and the glory that he would share with the Father for all eternity. That was the joy. That was the joy. You know, even if you think of chapter 11 and those those heroes of the faith that we like to call them. Their decisions were made in light of eternity. They had to make decisions based on the light of, well, what is best for me in terms of eternity? This might not be best for me right now in the present, but for eternity, this makes the most sense. What is the best decision for eternity? And we need to do the same. We need to fix our eyes, just like Jesus did, on eternity. On, in fact, yes, the glory that is going to come. We will share in glory in eternity. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Then look what he goes on to say. Paul goes on to say this, For our light and momentary troubles. How many of you know that when you're in the middle of the trouble, it doesn't feel light? And it does not feel momentary. It feels like it's going to last forever. But what does he say? He's, but our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us a What? an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so what does he instruct us to do? He says, you know what you need to do? You need to fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Fix your eyes on eternity, not the things you can see around you, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Get your eyes off of this life, is what he says. The temporary things of this life. Fix your eyes on eternity. That's how you'll make it through. You know, Warren Wiersbe, he said this. He said, for the child of God, heaven isn't just a destination. It's a motivation. It's not the truth. Heaven isn't just somewhere that we're going to be someday, but it's a motivation for living today. And so as the author of Hebrews tells us, consider him. Fix your eyes on Jesus so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, some of you are here today and you feel weary. Some of you maybe are here this morning and you feel like you've lost heart. We're going to close our service by taking communion today and I want to invite you to the table. I want to invite you to the communion table. I want to read for you, uh, before the team comes up, they can just wait for a minute. I want to read for you a few verses as I invite you to the table. It says this. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 14, says, "Therefore." Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Don't let go, he says. Don't give up. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then, what does he say? Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I want to invite you today to the table where you can receive mercy and find grace. Mercy, not getting what you deserve. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. That's what Psalm 103 tells us. He loves us. He's compassionate on us. He's merciful towards us. Instead, He gives us grace. Grace just simply means getting what you don't deserve. And you're invited today to the table to The throne of grace. Do you know that? You can enter right into God's throne room. And it's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment for us as believers. It's a throne of grace. And communion is the way in. That is the way that we enter in to his presence. One of the ways is through communion, recognizing his death and his resurrection for us. So if you, as we close with communion, if you don't have any of the emblems or elements, um, there's some baskets just at the back. There's a basket there. You're welcome to just grab one at this time even. But I want to invite you today to come to the throne, to tell him your need to receive mercy, to find grace. And, and maybe, maybe you just need to receive the communion today to, to remind yourself what Jesus went through for you, to know that you can make it, you can do it. Maybe today you need to throw off some things that hinder, the, the sin maybe that's entangling your life right now. Lay it down at the table. Receive freedom. Receive forgiveness in Christ. And and maybe just today, you just simply need to remember that Christ is writing your story, that no matter what you're walking through, you can get through it because he's writing it. He's writing your story. Trust him today. So as the team comes, I want us to take time. We're going to sing a song and we're going to focus, we're going to focus on what the Lord wants to speak to us about this morning. Perhaps, like I said, perhaps it's just that you're growing weary, you're losing heart. Come today to the table. Look at what he did for you. Look at the joy, you, that was set before him so that you can endure, so that you can continue, so that you can continue and go on and endure this race, persevere. Maybe there are things, maybe there are things in your life that there's some sin you need to throw off. And we're going to take time and sing this song, maybe some hindrances in your life that he's speaking to you about. And just allow him to to speak to you, to to show you, to reveal what it might be that he's wanting to say to you today. So as as we take time and sing just, we're going to sing probably about two or three verses right now of this song. Just allow the Lord to speak to you about those different things. So I just encourage you, maybe now you just want to close your eyes, maybe you want to let the song just minister to you. Maybe you want to stand and sing, whatever you want to do, but we want to prepare our hearts at this time for what the Lord wants to do in us in these moments before we receive communion together.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.